Welcome to Emerging, the official podcast of the Trout Unlimited and Costa Five Rivers program, brought to you by Sims Fishing Products. Emerging is about enabling the young angling community to drive progress in the fly fishing industry and the conservation of the places we love to fish. My name is Joseph Burney, and I'll be your host along with Andrew Lafredo. For this episode, we got a chance to talk with Casey Sheehan, the CEO of Sims Fishing Products, about the brand, current initiatives, what's next, and some fishing stories along the way. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome back to Emerging. Um, today is a really fun episode. We're really excited for it. And uh, we've been really excited and waiting a long time to get this this episode going. And we've been playing phone tag, but it's, it's actually happening now. We're here. We're doing it. Um, and for this episode, we are super excited to have Casey Sheehan on with us, CEO of Sims Fishing Products. Um Casey has been a pioneer for the fly fishing industry and running one of the largest fly fishing brands um, in the space. And we're super fortunate to have him on today and for him to take time out to talk to a great knowledge. So, Casey, welcome to the podcast. Hey, super psyched to be here, you guys. I'm really proud of what you guys have been doing terms of bringing young anglers into the sport in a, in a collective way and all the, you know, the various uh, conservation efforts you've been a part of. It's really nice to see young folks super engaged and happy and, and uh, bring things forward. So um, yeah, I'm Casey Sheehan. I'm the CEO of Sims. Uh, long history in the outdoor industry as a CEO of Patagonia for nine years. And prior to that, I had a number of other outdoor industry leadership roles in footwear and, and packs and started out as a journalist, as an editor of Powder Magazine. So I've kind of been around the block a little bit in 30 years of a fairly, fairly checkered career, but happy to be here in my, um, feels like my home here with Sims and Bozeman, Montana, a part of the world that I really love helping our teams make waders here in, in Bozeman, USA made product. So, uh, it's it's a it's a nice place for us to land yeah absolutely and um thank you again for taking the time and for all the support for the five rivers program we definitely couldn't do it without without y'all and uh it's been really great this partnership that we've had um but i guess to start from the beginning you gave a little bit of an intro of all the different places you've been to get yourself to sims but where'd you go to college? What are those early life experience that you feel shaped uh, who you are today and uh, led you into this career? Sure, sure. Well, um, I grew up in Southern California in Santa Barbara, where I was born, and uh, went back east to prep school and decided didn't want to live back there for very long. So as soon as I graduated, I came out, went to Stanford for four years, that's when I really started steelhead fishing on the California North Coast, yeah. uh, pretty hardcore. My family prior to that had had bought uh, a little little small ranch inside Grand Teton National Park in Jackson Hole. And, you know, since the age of five, I had been fly fishing in you know in the in the Snake River, in the irrigation ditches, the ponds, the high lakes, and just got really into fly fishing during that time of my my life. Um, so. Um, that kind of hooked me as a, as a fisherman. By the time I was 16, I was running shuttle for all the river guides on the Snake River as soon as I got my license. And one of those guys was John Sims, who uh, was the founder of Sims Fishing Products and got to know him pretty well. He was kind of a mentor hero of mine. He was a ski patroller at the ski area at, at Teton Village in the winter time. And then he guided fishermen in the summer out of little black rubber boats. And then he started Sims with like really 
innovative products like purple vests made out of new nylon materials. It didn't look like the old Tweedy stuff you'd buy from Abercrombie and Fitch and, and Orvis and some of the other brands. And neoprene waders were his first breakthrough product that allowed people to fish for steelhead and fish through the middle of winter uh, and a whole number of other other projects. He also was a avalanche uh, expert too and developed a lot of early uh, avalanche saving pr- uh, product under the LifeLink name, which was affiliated back in those days with with Sims and another little eyeglass retainer company called Crokies, which I'm wearing today. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of part of the uh, signature look if you grow up in Jackson Hole. So, so it's weird how that things have come full circle from guiding uh, uh, John, uh, helping John Sims guide running shuttle to now you know having having run his company for the last four years. Uh, and having him still involved with the brand in a in a kind of elderly statesman goodbye Mr. Chips kind of way. He's really yeah. great guy. He's a sculptor now, uh, and uh, just people loved in the Jackson Hole Valley for just being a great fishing guy and a great great man. Yeah, and a lot of people in the industry. See, I mean, so many people I talk to, um, like met on the river or um met like at a lodge or something like that and i mean i think everyone experiences it if you're fly fishing on a river there's there's two types of people there's the people that like all right they went out there they had a long week they want some zen they want people to leave them alone and they want to be one with the water and there's the complete opposite spectrum of like anytime they see someone in a hole and they're walking by they want to talk and uh learn your practically your whole life story Really interesting thing, and I said every time I'm out on the river, and I've made some really cool friends from from that. And what what that uh, connection that of shuttling got you to is pretty pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I just see you know the the story the stories you might share about your fishing tying into the stories about your life. It all it all goes together, right? And the fishing is a metaphor for how you are going to live your life, you know, your, your approach to it, uh, whether you're an aggressive, hardcore type A guy or you're, you're, you're kind of an Yvonne Chouinard, sit back and study the water and figure out ways to catch fish that are right there in front of you, you know, not having to run you know, a mile up the river to find some fish, elusive fish you think is up there and not right in front of you. Uh, just different approaches to how we we kind of um, bring awareness and 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 find and see and use our technique to make contact with the fish that are right there in front of us. It's, it's a lot of different ways to go about it. All fun, all different, and all very effective at times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so to pick up, you were running shuttle, um, and you met Mr. Sims and started to be molded and mentored by him. Um, where did you go from there that eventually got you to powder magazine and, uh, to Patagonia and those different places? Well, I, I, um, you know, I, I finished college and I fished all summer, every summer through, through the end of high school and college, uh, and just ended up out West. Uh, and after college, I wasn't sure what I was wanting to do, but I, I didn't knew I had to be something connected to fishing and being in the outdoors. Um, I'd lived in New York. I, I went to work in New York working for Ski Magazine uh, for a couple of years, but I didn't like New York. But the good thing about it was I could I could work for seven months and then take off for, for southern Argentina, Tierra del Fuego, and Patagonia and fish yeah. for four or five months with a backpack and a couple of seven and eight-week rods that some friends of mine had had wrapped up for me. And that just kind of took me down this more extreme adventure fishing path. And uh, I did that, and then I, I came out of that going, gosh, I'm running out of money. i got to get a real job. So I ended up uh, doing magazine editing for some publications that are were in Mountain View, California, one called uh, Nordic World, another called Marathoner, and, and also worked on Runner's World magazine. And that that turned into working for Ski Magazine and then eventually to Powder Magazine as an editor and publisher. And then I went way down the path of, of sporting goods marketing. I got a job at Nike running their outdoor division called ACG and uh, had a quick ride there about four years. I learned a hell of a lot there about marketing and and uh, 
um, sporting goods industry in general when Nike was really booming at that time. And and I did that for, you know, I went from Nike to Merrill Footwear to Kelty Packs to, to uh, gosh, Patagonia for, five, for nine years uh, while Patagonia went through a tremendous growth cycle um, in those times from about 2005 to 2014. And just learned so much in that time frame and really enjoyed working with the Chenards on this really iconic brand that was so clearly positioned in the, uh, you know, on the environmental side of, of, of things in terms of their, their commitment to recyclability and to promoting arable land and, and uh, you know, organic cotton, things like that. Mm-hmm. So that was really fun. And then uh, I tried to retire. It didn't work out so well. <laughs> I found myself on a couple of outdoor industry boards. One of them was Keen Footwear. Keen invited me to become their president. I did that for a year, but I didn't love living in Portland, Oregon. And that's when Casey Walsh, who owns Sims, said, hey, I'm looking for a guy to maybe uh, become a CEO at Sims. I'm thinking of becoming the executive chairman. What do you think? I said, well, what about me? He said, well, that's what I was kind of hoping you'd say. And so he he offered me the job and I literally ended up here in Bozeman about a month later, you know, it looked like the Beverly Hillbillies leaving Portland, Oregon with all of our worldly possessions, just, you know, stacked and trailers and stuffed into our cars. And I see it happening right here now in Bozeman with all these COVID refugees coming into town. They're just going, get me out of California, get me out of Dallas, get me out of wherever. Uh, this looks like a nice town to live in. It's not too big yet, but it's changing our town because we're 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 not going to be able to handle you know five to ten thousand newcomers every year. It's gonna just gonna blow us up. So anyway, that's how I got here to Sims, and it's been a great fit. Uh, the company's doing really well. We're just rocking right now, selling waders and boots and jackets and sportswear. Everybody wants to be fishing right now, and it's it's yeah. great for business. It, it it does concern me about how the impact this will have on our fisheries as more people catch these fish and more of the popular fishing areas get a little more crowded than they're used to or have been over the last 50 years. It's like, wow, people are showing up at every access point and they're wading up and down the river and they've got good gear and they're, uh, they're on it. They're kids like you. They're just like know how to catch fish and those fish can't hide. So, (laughs) yeah. So, and, and it's too, it's like you, these spots that you're like, oh, well, I'm going to hike way back to uh, get away from people. And you walk way back and all, all of a sudden there's five people back there. And you're like, where did you come from? Like this, th- I never saw anyone back here, but it's this catch 22 of like, it's great that more people are getting into fishing and, um, in turn, more people, if more people are falling in love with those resources, more people are going to want to conserve them. But at the same time, like our fisheries are getting absolutely hammered right now um, because of it. Yeah. There's, you know, uh, there's a more thoughtful approach that that maybe flies in the face of what's currently popular on Instagram and Facebook, which is keeping fish in the water, barbless hooks, trying to just you know, enjoy the moment, but you don't have to like proudly grip and grin, display your fish, like just keep them down there. And it's funny because somebody did an article about me in sporting goods business a while, a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was, you know, ranting about how I hate having fish out of the water. And of course the, the picture they, they pick of me is me holding a fish out of water, you know, holding it close <laughs> to like every other rube that's out there today. You know? and like, well, guilty as charged. I'm part of the problem, not really showing the way to the solution here. So gosh, but you know, we just have to make an effort to, to be, be more careful and keep those fish down there. So they don't gasp and, you know, run out of oxygen or just turn belly up when the water's a little too warm. They, we need to keep them alive. Because, you know, they can be caught many, many times. And, and if you take good care of unhooking them, you're not ripping their mouths apart, they're, they're good to go. It's like a little, little it's like a, a COVID shot. It's in, it's out, they're gone. What happened? On the, off, on their, off to their new adventures, getting bigger and bigger every, every month. Oh, yeah. So, Casey, um, you kind of talked a little bit about this, but I'm very curious, you know, um, as we all know, with anything outdoor industry related, you know, bikes to mountain climbing stuff to, you know, uh, fly fishing gear. What, 
you know, how has COVID changed uh, Sims uh, in general? Um, what are you seeing, I guess, like a uh, couple phases of that question? You know, what are the general COVID transitions that you've seen? What kind of products are the most excited that people are uh, clamoring for? And uh, do you see this kind of lasting long-term or is this just a, a river runs through it kind of thing for our industry again, where we boom for about two years and then it plateaus again? Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a complete crystal ball. What we're seeing right now is that there are a lot of newcomers to the sport and they, they're looking for Sims waders and boots that are more at entry level in terms of price point. You know, they certainly know that they're not going to leak. Uh, and this may be the you know, less, less the, the, the category product below Gore-Tex waders. It's that's not as expensive as our Gore waders. They're, 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 they're gobbling those up. Um, and I think that's, that is um, helping feed uh, a longer term connection to our brand. So, so that is, that is definitely part of it. And then the other part of it is categories that we are, we just pioneered uh, this spring, like our flyweight category, which is really designed to, it's more athletic, more nimble, lighter weight product that you can get deep into the backcountry. So those guys you were just talking about that you were running into, you thought you were way back in there and, they're back. They're already. Those are probably flyweight guys. They're. Uh, just, <laughs> they just beat you to the punch as you were slogging up in your old waders. They had this stuff they could practically run like little gazelles up the side of the creek and get up ahead of you and catch those fish that haven't been hassled yet. And so that 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 category has done really well for us uh, here this spring as people try to stay out, stay away from other you know COVID uh, potential spreaders and and get out deeper into the backcountry. yeah and that flyweight collection is so impressive i i have a pair of g3s that i love um and i went into my local fly shop the other day and they had just gotten their shipment in and he's like just come over here and he opens up the box and he's like just hold this in your hand it's like okay well are they really that light and i held them and i was like oh my gosh this is absolutely absurd how you can get waders this light and they look great um so congratulations on a on a successful launch of of that uh that line awesome yeah so what what do you think um you've seen we've seen a lot of growth and we've talked about that but what what are you most excited about for for the future of sims in the next five maybe ten years there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Um, we have some new R&D concepts with waders that are that are um, very exciting, bring more more stretch and flex to these waders, so they're more comfortable to wear. You know, uh, you know, walking, but also sitting down in a boat or in other you know, more breathable, uh, having flex points and pads and things like that. More more comfortable booties that you know, they seem like like iterations. But when you see them, when we're finally um, done prototyping them, I think you'll be pretty impressed that this is kind of a next step. Um, and, you know, excited about, you know, evolutions of our existing product, like the G3s, which has been a franchise waiter for us, the flyweight we just talked about. And we have a, a new waiting boot coming for spring 22 called the, the um, flyweight access boot. And it has a uh, a, it has a without giving away too many secrets a, a rubber sole that is as sticky uh, from a safety standpoint as felt but it's not felt so that it doesn't carry as much of the river bottom around uh, other places uh, to spread you know to spread whatever pathogens are being carried between ecosystems and it's a uh, very grippy um, and, and different looking, and that's going to be launched in spring 22. We'll be showing the the specialty fly shop. That's a, that's a big uh, that's a big deal. And then I would say that that our fish it well campaign has really resonated. Uh, you know that you get one life, fish it well. It's been a great rallying cry for us on a number of different levels. From from you know trying to bring more diversity into the sport, whether women or uh, ethnic groups that had, have not been welcomed with open arms or just feel some, some tension there. Um, and also just to, to, to 
add to our efforts uh, in terms of protecting the resource as much as possible. That fishing it well also means, you know, not clobbering a bunch of fish and throwing them up in the bank and, you know, like taking care of them. And, and yeah. uh, that, that, that also has an element of, of uh, why that rallying cry can be inclusive of a number of different initiatives. So that's exciting. Absolutely. And I mean, I just think that the community continues to get stronger. Um, and I mean, that's just kind of how I've connected um, that campaign is, I mean, you have all these different people and I see it in, in five rivers, the diversity we're getting. I mean, my club at, at Georgia is growing as far as females go, as far as like when you think of fly fishing for the longest time, it's just like, all right, bunch of old white people uh, hanging out with their expensive, expensive gear and it's changing and it's really exciting to see uh, the river look a lot different um, as, as the years continue to go on. Um, but I mean, we can't, we can't not talk about, more specifics about fishing on here. I mean, that's why this is TU is all about conservation and that's where, where our heart is at five rivers. But what, what's your favorite place to fish? I'm sure you've, uh, gone to some pretty amazing places, um, in your day and favorite place to fish freshwater. Um, and what about salt water? Well, I, I can't just be pinned down to one here, but in, in, in freshwater, I mean, the trips I've taken to Tierra del Fuego for sea run brown trout have been amazing. I just love Argentine culture. It's super fun. Uh, those brown trout that are just, you know, gigantic and very nocturnal, fishing in the dark sometimes, uh, having fish just like, you know, having three grabs on every swing is like unbelievable. But I also love northern British Columbia. I just love scenery up there and great friends up there and some lodges I fish and some beautiful rivers, probably five or six rivers that are just still world-class. Um, doesn't mean you catch tons of fish every day, but the quality of the fish up there, it's just amazing. So, um, that's, that's a place I'd like to go. And I just got back from, from, uh, from Kamchatka, uh, two, two falls ago. And that was an amazing trip, just giant, river rainbows that were um, gorgeous to see in their natural state with these volcanoes spouting off above you and flying around in these kind of decrepit military helicopters. That you never know when you're, you're like, you were just going to go down <laughs> and be crushed up in a tin can, you know, and have, have somebody fly out the jaws of life three days later to recover your body. Um, that was, that was kind of exciting to, to, to be a part of. And I want to go back to Kamchatka and take part in the, the steelhead project where they're tagging fish and measuring them and learning more about them uh, to support that effort and do some fishing while I'm doing that. So that's cool. Yeah. I'd say the saltwater scene. I love Ascension Bay down in Mexico. I think that's a credible permit and bonefish scene down there. And it's, um, I just like the whole vibe. It's beautiful down there, white sand beaches and palm trees and, you know, beautiful, you know, turquoise colored water. That's great. Um, for tarpon, my, my favorite lately has been, I do like the Keys and I was just there a week ago, but I like Apalachicola and that whole part of the coastline up in Northwestern Florida would seem like big tarpon come through there. Big tarpon oh, yeah. that eat that, that, um, you know, water's kind of murky and brown. It's kind of tannic colored, but the fish are, seem to be unafraid. If you get a fly in front of them, well, they, uh, they're coming to get it. So I like that scene. That's pretty, pretty exciting. Yeah. I grew up going to the Gulf, uh, like the panhandle my, my whole life over by Destin and, um, that area. And for the longest time, just like there's would never have thought that there's just massive tarpon just cruising around the Gulf right there. But, I mean, they're even, they've even been seen in Destin Bay, all the way over in Destin Bay, and it's, it's crazy. They're huge over there, and uh, to anyone listening, uh, they're actually not there, and you shouldn't go. 
go fish there. <laughs> I've seen, I think, back in the 50s. Now, I don't think they're there anymore, but just in case, you thought that they might have swung up through northwest Florida, went around the corner all the way out past Panama, <laughs> and then over to Louisiana. They don't really do that, but it, it's yeah, it, it's uh, it's rumored. Yeah. Um, so any, from those, from those places, uh, do you have any, any favorite fishing stories or, um, crazy encounters? You didn't go down in the helicopter in Kamchatka, which is, which is fantastic news, but any, any really interesting fishing stories from those adventures? Well, I have gone down in little Cessna 180s on the beach on some bad beach landings and, you know, put the plane up on the nose, had to, you know, with my dad and my friend, friend, my friend's dad, four of us, and the, and the pilot had to push it up above the high tide. Well, that's down in the Aleutians around Cold Harbor. We used to do some long flights down there to go fish for silver salmon. So there've been train wrecks, there've been plane wrecks. Um, nobody died, that's good. But I, I would think one experience, I, I love fishing in these remote little fisheries in, in in BC. And one time I was fishing with Lisa Pike, who was kind of the environmental programs coordinator and, and manager for Patagonia. And we were up on this river with a guide, uh, way remote British Columbia, way north near the NAS channel, which is kind of the border between Alaska and BC. And we're fishing down this Creek and, uh, I fished down through it. Didn't get anything. Uh, guide came to the Lisa Fisher didn't get anything, and the guide said, I know they're in there. So he threw on a spin rig with a bobber and a single plastic bead egg, threw it out there, hooks about a 15-pound steelhead, and the fish just surges down the river and snaps them off, like leaving about uh, 50 yards of line behind it. Somebody said, oh, that's a bummer. You lost your fish. So Lisa and I went up further and fished up a couple more pools and got a couple steelhead and we're coming back, and I just thought I, th- I just thought I'd just fish down through that run where we lost a fish one more time. So I've, I'm fishing with a spay rod, and I I throw my my fly across and start sweeping it down. And I felt this little resistance, and I, it kept coming up to me, and I pulled it in, and there was a line um, in the water, and so I went, oh, that's interesting. I just wonder. I clipped off my fly, stuck it in my hat, tied a quick blood knot. Tightened down on it, and all of a sudden, this 15-pound steelhead is leaping in the water. <laughs> and, and I handed the rod to Lisa. I said, "Well, here's your fish," and she proceeded to land the thing in five minutes. She had it up to the bank. We got pictures of it. So that was like that was a cool moment where where uh, there's a little bit of redemption after a moment of of, of defeat and and uh, anguish over losing a fish, and it happened hours later after we first hooked it. So. I don't know. That's one of my favorite moments in fishing, where, where you know, the the, the turnaround happens in in, a, in the space of about a minute and a half. It's great. That's unreal. I can't I can't imagine what would be going through my head. Like I don't think I'd get the knot off. I think my knot would like I, my knot tying skills in that instance would just disappear. I just I had to go into my Zen state and just breathe and <laughs> down, get my heart rate down. It's kind of like a biathlete, bio, you know. You just take it from 180 down to like you know 62 and just be calm. And and then yeah. I tied this perfect knot. I checked it because once the blood knot was tied, I knew I was 90 percent of the way there. That could all go up through the guides pretty fast if the fish ran off. And then I just took my time and clipped the ends, the you know the the two ends that were there. Tighten it again, and I went. I'm good to go. I'm gonna get this. Oh, yeah. If that fish is in, hooked in that fish, that hook is in the mouth. He's ours. We're gonna get him, and we did. It was great. That's that's amazing. That's a that's an incredible story. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like Joseph. I, I would have. I probably would have crumbled under the pressure of that. <laughs> My knot tying skills would have been questionable at best. But yeah. um, so. Casey, can you tell us a little bit about um, this exciting new tea partnership uh, with the Gallatin River um, between Sims and and Trout Unlimited? You bet. I mean, we're so thrilled to contribute to uh, TU here in in the, you know, the Gallatin Valley, specifically around um, helping the the, the Gallatin River, which is getting more 
pressure and encroachment from this growing population of people. There's really nice fish in that river, but we need to take care of it. And it's not just garbage, which might end up on the riverbank. It's it's culverts that aren't working very well. So fish are, having, fish are having a hard time getting up into the headwater spawning creeks. And also um, just creating uh, better habitat on stream banks that might get washed out because of high flood years, et cetera. So our crews had two sessions already. Our, the SIMS team has been out um, to plant willow trees and other trees to kind of hold the riverbank together and provide shade. And we're, you know, we're, we're taking on this whole Gallatin River as much as we can in this area. And, and as a company, we've pledged $250,000 to the effort, which is not a, you know, insignificant amount of money for us, but it, we're so happy to do it. And it's, it's more than just, you know, a legacy project for Sims, but it's, it's getting our employees engaged in something that is, you know, more than just, you know, building product and selling it to the fishing consumer. It's like, we're, we're giving back in our own way for this sport that has really natured so many, nurtured so many of us uh, in a profound way and given so much to us. We're, we're trying to give back to, to the sport itself and to the species that we need uh, to be healthy so that we can have a sport. So, you know, I, I would expect that if this goes well, this will be a role model that can be rolled out into other communities and other backyard fishing rivers that are everywhere, right? From Oregon to Washington to Idaho to, to Wyoming and have group of river stewards uh, taking on the work to really um, keep these rivers safe and, and protected and cleaned up and as, as pretty a, a natural environment as possible so that there can be healthy fish in those, those situations and create an ethos around catch and release and, and taking care of the waterways, not walking through spawning reds, um, you know, just being respectful of, of the fish species that live there. Yeah. And I think that's great too, that y'all are starting like in your backyard on the Gallatin um, and a lot more people other than, when we look at conservation projects and especially like from working on projects with TU since I've joined and become involved is you don't realize that you have your narrow scope of like, all right, well, we're going to help the fish, but in turn it helps the entire ecosystem and people that might not be interested in fishing um, can become invested in the project because maybe they like um, other, they like, birds or other habitat that likes to hang out in those um those areas and those environments and um hikers and mountain bikers and those different all these different parties can come together and i think that once we start seeing more collaboration between all those different people then it's really going to be special what starts happening on the on the conservation front for sure Yep. And speaking of conservation, Casey, um, what, uh, you know, I know that Sims has got their hand in kind of a little bit of everything. And I think the Gallatin project is super exciting and, you know, something that uh, really embodies, you know, Sims in general and what you all have done, you know, countless other projects uh, across the country over the course of Sims existence. But um, I'm very curious kind of, you know, what other projects are you super excited about that Sims is involved in or you're personally excited about and involved in uh, in terms of conservation can be, you know, fish specific or it can be something uh, above and beyond that? Well, there's kind of two areas is the location specific challenges, whether it's protecting the Smith River here in Montana from a from a mine that's up that's proposed up in the headwaters and the same thing at a bigger level of Bristol Bay in Alaska, which I really feel like it's still unresolved and I don't think it's, it's been killed for good. So we need to be very vigilant about that because that's a disaster for a whole, that whole Bristol Bay ecosystem watershed, which is gigantic and supporting, you know, 30 million sockeye salmon alone, not to mention the other five salmon species. So we've really got to watch that one closely and, and throw our collective resources behind it. Um, and then if you, if you kind of go there, there's three issues. There's location, you know, protection. There's, there's the bigger picture of global climate change, which is, you know, 
causing our runoffs to happen earlier. It's causing stream closures in the middle of, of summer in the trout world where rivers get too warm and the fish get too stressed if you catch them. That's indicative of what's happening around uh, the U.S. and it's further fueled by major drought in California and parts of, of Idaho and Montana and Wyoming that the waters are just too low and too warm in the middle of summer and it doesn't they don't get much relief until you know snow and cold and rain comes back in the in the fall and late fall so watching out for that and then and i really almost a chemical level but a chemical and an ecosystem level because all these things are are interconnected is these notions of you know pharmacological drugs in the water, uh, you know, from from estrogen, which you know, birth control pills, uh, other opioids, other kinds of things that are ending up in our freshwater and saltwater environments because of wastewater treatment plants not being able to to synthesize, get them all out, and so they're they're entering the water systems and having an impact there. And then we also saw. Um, we've seen evidence that microplastics are everywhere now, all the way up into the headwaters of, of, of rivers in, in intermountain states. And I'm sure uh, this is going on around the world, uh, just from, from polyesters, um, you know, degrading, getting broken apart, getting uh, chewed up in a washing machine, a dryer, and then sent out into the environment and in, basically into the water waste stream and ending up in the tissues of our fish and ultimately if we're eating the fish in ourselves. So, yeah. so I, I, I see all the interconnectedness of this and I, uh, and I hope that the industry will pull together collectively to try to solve these problems and look at them with a huge amount of, of, uh, of objectivity and awareness and make sure that we're doing the right thing to minimize these impacts and everything we do, because, you know, when you're manufacturing, anything that's made out of synthetic materials or or whatever even uh you know some of the the natural materials there are impacts from from that uh creation of that product the supply chain the trucking the boating the everything you do to get that product to your market it doesn't it does not happen without some cost and so um yeah i'm very interested in that um and feel some passion about trying to do our part to to um, be a better global citizen in that regard. Absolutely. Yeah. Does Sims have any? I'm curious. Does Sims have any plan uh, for carbon neutrality as a as a company? You know, the the, the efforts are small and just starting. Um, I would say that carbon neutrality is is really you know we, we have solar panels on our roof here in our in our main building uh, to offset you know some of our energy needs. You know Montana still run largely by 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 coal uh, coal plants, some hydro. Um, so anything we can do to you know keep our own uh, impact reduced is is good. And then looking at the looking at apparel, just making selections around the recyclable right recycled face fabrics and products. Gore the gore product itself, you know, the 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 neat thing about that is it lasts tremendously long. Uh yeah. that there's there there is merit and there is value in products that last a long time. They're not just disposal. They don't just start leaking after two months and you gotta throw them away. We have we have customers who have their waiters for twenty or thirty years, and they can send them in here, and we'll repair them, and they keep going because the product is so well made, it's so durable. So that's a that saves uh, reduces some of the carbon footprint. It's not the total answer, but it certainly it's heading yeah. in that direction. Absolutely. And um, do you think that like your time with with Patagonia, especially like Yvonne, uh my Yvonne, I'm going to get tongue-tied saying his last name. Shenard. Uh, um, I mean, he was kind of the pioneer of, like, telling people, like, don't buy my clothes. Like, buy, like, go send us your old clothes or something, and we'll sell them back to other people or we'll fix it. And do you think that – how has that influenced you um, working under him and um, all of that to where you are today? Well, that, you know, the Don't Buy This Jacket campaign was, I think, one of the uh, crowning glories of my time there. It, it was such a wonderful thing to work on. It was a uh, the head of environmental 
storytelling, the minister of culture at Patagonia is a guy named Rick Ridgway. And Rick came into my office and said, Hey, can we uh, take out an ad in the New York times? Um, and it's going to cost us $58,000 and it's going to be pretty controversial because we're going to tell everybody not to buy this jacket. And I said, well, is there anything more to it? I said, yeah, it's a kickoff for our common threads program, which means that we're, we're going to double down our efforts to use recycled materials, have everything be recyclable. And we have a goal by 2015 to have, you know, 99% of our product line fit into this recyclable or recycled mode. Um, but it's also telling the customer to really consider uh, your choices in purchasing and don't buy it if you don't need it. Right. Yeah. Just, just, you know, um, do something else because you, your old jacket's fine. As Yvonne would always say, you know, if you're only using a ski jacket, you know, one or two months out of a winter, why do you have it in your closet? Can't you just go rent it or borrow it or, you know, find an old one and patch it up and use it again. And, and that was where Warnwear was a supplement to that, to, to try to get, uh, people to to patch up their old stuff and, and keep it going and to share share products and, and and trade and do stuff like that as opposed to having always wear a new the new yellow Gore-Tex jacket for the season do something different that was already in the marketplace and would work just fine. I mean, Gore doesn't wear out. Gore lasts for for thousands of years if you take care of it. It's incredible. Yeah, uh, resilient and, and, uh, long lasting product. So, yeah. That's really interesting. And I mean, it's, it's just really cool to see now how, um, companies are being more environmentally responsible and making products that last. I mean, I was always taught as a kid, like, don't like buy something that's going to last you a long time. And, and especially once I stopped growing and I wasn't growing out of a pair of shoes every couple of months, it's like, we'll buy clothes that are going to last you a long time. So you don't have to keep buying things and throwing things away. Um, if you have to give something away, give it to good, like give it to a friend or like take it to goodwill or something like that. Um, instead of throwing it in ending up in the dump. And, um, I think that's really awesome that, that Sims is also committed to, I mean, Sims always, always been committed to making, super high quality products. And I mean, I was, I got my first pair of, of Sims waiters this past year and like just blown away. I mean, Andrew and I, Andrew and I beat up our, our waiters a couple, uh, weeks ago, uh, through an undisclosed fishing location. And, uh, they, they got broken in really well. Um, <laughs> but they're awesome and I can't wait to have them serve me for the next however long. Oh, that's great. Casey, I'll have to show you my old pair of G3s. I still have them. They, nice. I, 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 I siliconed them and everything. So they're <laughs> definitely not the, the prettiest pair of waders, but they still work pretty good. Um, Send them back to, to Sims. They can do a really professional job. It won't look like, you know, somebody just splooshed a bunch of, you know, uh, <laughs> side of it. It, it, they look pretty. They still look pretty classy with nice little circular patches, and you know they're not going to leak. And we could do a good job with that. You just got to give them up for a couple of weeks. Yeah, for sure. Um, Casey, kind of along those those lines, I guess my, one of my last questions is just, uh, you know, you kind of touched on being a better global steward uh, as an organization at Sims and through your time at Patagonia. I'm just very curious. Um, you know, uh, I try and always advocate this too, is that, you know, small actions amongst a large group creates global change, right? So, you know, how can, especially the new folks getting involved in the sport and in conservation, uh, how do you see them being a better global steward? Uh, just easy actions for that. Yeah, I think that, you know, this, this comes out of my experience, both the Patagonia and Sims with our, our Gallatin Valley, uh, Gallatin River initiative is, you know, s start small. Pick an area of the country that you really love, that that you will fish, you love, and make the effort with your friends to go out and collect trash one Saturday, uh, to do things there that are meaningful, to keep to put it into a, a state that you not only enjoy to see it visually as a beautiful piece of landscape but that it has a, a, a trout stream or a lake or whatever that you 
want to have um, it be in, in, it, in its natural state for the health of the fish that are in it. And don't, I mean, it's, it's really daunting to take on um, global climate change, but you can make efforts there. I mean, drive an electric car and and don't drive your car, ride your bike or your electric bike. Um, um, you know, look at, really consider the impacts of all the things you do and try to do them in a less harmful way. Um, but there's lots of things to get involved in, and they're really fun because they're like-minded people. You'll meet people. If you're feeling a little bit uh, sequestered and languishing and lonely coming out of this COVID experience, it's a good way to meet people and make new friends and do something you enjoy together and feel some sense of a of purpose and accomplishment that, that will feed your soul a little bit. And uh, those are important things to do when you're coming out of a crisis like we've been having to feel like to feel worthy again, to feel good about what you do, not feel so beaten down by uh, the nervousness about catching some disease and the scare tactics that are out there, and you know, a rough political climate, a tough election where we're all just kind of feel like we need to take a break from that and 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 do something. You know, we we like the uh, the tagline. We don't own it, but we like the United We Fish, which was you know trying to address. The issues we face as an industry, as a sport, in a non-polarizing way to bring people together to solve these problems, to enjoy this time together, and not be all pissed off when somebody's standing in your fishing hole. You know, he may not be a very good, or she may not be a very good fisherman. You can help them, you know, and uh, and maybe uh, teach them a thing or two. And then when they're gone, you can take over the spot and go out and reap a couple because you know what you're doing. Um, <laughs> And but you 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 made a connection with somebody that didn't feel like you know oh god here here comes the local and he's kind of a jerk uh, he's not gonna like me being here he's gonna give me some attitude turn that around in these times in in this summer like to to welcome these newcomers we do need these newcomers because the more of these newcomers that come the more chance there is to save these special places because hopefully they'll they'll like it they'll want to do it they'll contribute it to the environmental groups the conservation groups the land trust groups, whatever it is, it's creating more opportunity for us to enjoy these sports. And and uh, you can find a balance between having to go fish in these exotic, you know, expensive, far-flung fishing locations, lodges, et cetera, and here in your own backyard and enjoy that. Enjoy the small fish. Uh, don't always have to go after the big guys. You can um, you can find some satisfaction taking out your, your friends and your family and your kids and your dog and your own little drift boat and make it into a picnic where you fish for half an hour. It's all, there's so many ways to enjoy the sport right now that, that, that take it from being a, a competitive, um, you know, big fish or nothing kind of, kind of approach to something that's more integrated into your life in a more relaxing way to enjoy it than, than it, it, it could be. If you if you bring the same approach you bring to your competitive business environment or other aspects of your life where it's it's win at all costs I got to catch the, all the fish I got to catch the big ones eh, let let that go just enjoy yourselves being out yeah. in nature and being live and healthy and 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 away from potential if COVID's with us for a few more months just being safe being you know feeling free that's the way to go yeah absolutely. Um, and I think that's great advice too, for anyone that's like college age student coming up young, um, getting into fishing is, I mean, don't be afraid to ask people questions too. And, um, a lot of people like, like you said, will will want to help. And to the people that don't, who cares? They don't want to like, don't give it your time of day. It's, it's, don't take it too seriously and and have have fun with it because it's supposed to be fun we're in we're fishing in these beautiful places and um catching big or small fish like you said it's it's just it's all about getting that that experience and connecting with the outdoors and uh once obviously once if you can responsibly do it connecting with people you love to adventure with um so uh I would love to give you the opportunity if you uh, want to talk about uh, as we kind of wrap it up as uh, anything you want to um, plug or uh, 
talk to our listeners about just um, where can they um, find you or Sims or anything uh, you want to want to plug here? Well, I just, I think that uh, first again, and um, want to honor and thank you guys for the work you're doing to, to, to bring the younger group of people into the sport and into some of these, these efforts uh, to you know, spread the, the love conservation wise. We are, um, you know, our, our notion, our, our tagline is, is you get one life, fish it well. And there's a couple elements to that. One is, you know, the, that we are surrounding ourselves and hope to affiliate ourselves with, with fishermen who are quietly competent and confident about their abilities, who are good fishermen. And, and within that, they are also uh, taking care of the resource. They are, the expression is, um, fish it well is also conserve it well, um, take care of yourself, you know, at emotional and physical, psychological level, because this is, you know, an antidote to what we've all been through. And it's enjoyable. And at the end of the day, it's fun being out mm-hmm. outdoors on a sunny day with a fly rod in your hand, having fish rising or being out in the flats looking for tarpon and they're coming and you can see them. And, you know, you have the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat at any moment in time. It all takes about a second and a half. And then you've got uh, the ability to travel and see new places you never had and meet new people. That's why the sport is so, is so exciting for people because it's multifaceted. It, it just encompasses so many different aspects that are, um, I think really inspiring and, and energizing for people. And that's why it's important to engage on it in any level you want. But, but for me, engaging on it at a higher level of going beyond just the catching and releasing to protecting what we have. Uh, that's what fish it well means for, for us as a brand and, and why we're going to use that, uh, to, to, to connect people to, to Sims as a brand, being a leader, not just in product, but in, in trying to, uh, create more opportunity, more habitat, more, more, more fish for everyone to catch, because, that's a classic example of enlightened self-interest. If, if we're doing that and it's working, we will get good business as a result of it. And we are in business mm-hmm. to do that. So we want to engage with all of our stakeholders from, from the fish to the fishermen to the owners of our business and have them all be happy. Absolutely. Well, Casey, thank you so much um, for taking the time to hang out with us and talk about fishing, talk about conservation, um, and all of that. We really enjoyed it and uh, can't wait to see what other partnerships we come up with with Five Rivers and Sims. All right. Good luck, you guys. Yeah, thanks, Casey. All right.